King's kids, second grade on down, I need you to come down here. We need to have a group talk real fast. Se King's kids, if you're going to King's kids, second grade on down. Yeah, Grayson, good to see you. Come on, come on. Maddox, right, right, good. Hi, Katie, good to have you. Come on. Uh, over here, the junior. There you go. Down, no, Nate, no, you don't need to follow him. If he jumps off a bridge, you don't follow. All right. Um, come down here so I can see your face. I want to see your face. Ready? There are going to be a lot of kids and king's kids for the next few weeks. And we're also going to have visitors coming. So what I need from you who know how it goes is to listen. That's rule number one. If they say like, hey, drop your marker. We need to move on to the game. Then you drop your marker. I need you to cooperate with the teachers because we're going to have visitors in the next few weeks. And they don't know how to act in church sometimes. And that's okay. They're learning. But if you guys will do your part and listen and behave, then things are going to go smoothly. If not, if you guys don't listen in King's Kids, then I'm going to have to keep you in here. And that's probably not the best day of your life. And your mom just went, that's not her best day either. Well, you might just find a little, like I can put a corral over here and just, we can just kind of pop them in, I don't know, get them out with a token or something. I don't know what's going to happen, but all right, can you, can you help me out here the next few weeks? It's Easter, we're going to have more kids. And I bought, I bought a bunch of toys already that I'm putting in the Easter eggs this year. So I'm going to be packing Easter eggs soon. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter and give you goodies. Oh, there you are. I was wondering where you went. I was in the party. Oh, in the party. That, that sounds fancier when she says that. In the party. Yeah. All right. Go to King's Kids. You're dismissed. Everybody else turn your Bible to Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Luke 2, 21. See ya. See ya. Is that going to work? Are they going to remember? They just forgot everything I said. Repetition. We'll just keep keep pounding them. This guy's helping in King's Kids today. Take all the time you need before you go in there. Just just read slowly and deliberately. Did you get recruited for King's Kids? Is that what yes. I? Yeah. Okay. Just checking. Is that why you're sweating? <laughs> no. He's not. Sweating. <laughs> He'll be great. Uh, Luke chapter two, starting in verse twenty-one. Go. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for his purification rite, required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the con consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother, Mary, marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, 
This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and the sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of, redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three, after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at this understanding in his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like that? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Don't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Thank you, Wiley. Wow. Parenting Jesus. How would you like that assignment? Uh, and some, in th you're like, oh yeah, that would be the easiest thing ever. Perfect child. Um, and until he's about his father's business, and I don't mean Joseph, um, it's going to cause some anxious moments here. How would you feel if just some strange old guy scoops up your baby? Hey, let me hold that kid. Uh, and start saying things like this. It's um, just shedding a little light on the childhood of Jesus. And I've broken up this passage into three, three big parts uh, with a question for each one. The question for, for all of them is what what helps kids grow, grow up under God's influence? What helps kids grow closer to God, under the authority of God, or under the influence of God and God's word and God's people? If you don't have kids or you are a kid, don't check out on me, um, because these three things that we're talking about that kids need, everybody needs. Everybody needs. These are three things we could all use and identify or pursue for our own lives. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the family we have been born into. Thank you for our parents, our siblings, our aunts, our uncles, our grandparents. Thank you, God, for putting us where you put us. You know best. 
we have not enjoyed every day in our own families. But that's okay, Lord. You know what is best. Help us to learn from the sins and the mistakes of others. Help us to learn from our own temperament and mistakes and sins as well. Help us to be the kind of people we wish we had around us. Help us to not live in regret. Help us to not live in shame for mistakes we've made in the past. Help us to be a people who rise up and do tomorrow better than today. Help these qualities that we look for so anxiously in others. Help these qualities to be in us. And if we have messed up, Lord, give us another chance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what helps kids grow up under God's influence? First of all, righteous parents help kids grow. In verses 21 through 24, Jesus' parents do acts of righteousness. And when I say righteous, that doesn't mean they are perfect. doesn't mean they are right all of the time. To be righteous is to be right with God. You can be right with God and still do what is wrong. You can be right with God and still make mistakes and still fail. But those who are right with God confess their sins to God, confess their sins to one another, apologize, and get back into right relationship with God. Jesus' parents were righteous and not perfect. So let's just remove that burden off of your shoulders for right now. Kids don't need perfect parents. God knows you didn't. He needs righteous parents. Parents who first and foremost are searching after being right with God, not right with their kids. How in the world can the mind of an adult make sense to the mind of a child? It's not. There will always be not just a generational gap, but a wisdom gap, especially if the parent is following the Lord. Understand that. Stand your ground and parent in a way that pleases God, even if the little ankle biters aren't happy with you. Be right with God. That changes things. Your kids don't need you to preach at them. They need you to worship God in front of them. That's the sermon they need. That you are living life, ups and downs, and you still keep showing up. You still keep serving. You still keep giving. That is a lifelong message that will resonate with your kids. And that is a life of righteousness. Abraham was right with God because he believed God would do what God promised to do. David was right with God, not because of Bathsheba, not because of other things that happened in his life. Those were wrong things. Well, how can God call him righteous? Because he was a man after God's own heart. That's what it means to be righteous. Jesus' parents are righteous. Just in a few verses, they submit Jesus for circumcision, purification, and dedication. Circumcision refers to the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 17. 
That's before there's even a law. It's an act of obedience for Abraham and his lineage that they are going to live their lives in front of God. Naked, right in front of God, spiritually, openly. They are going to submit themselves. That's going to be a sign that they are walking in the footsteps of Abraham and living by faith. That is, that is not living by works. They're living by faith, and so they do good works. They do not get circumcised so that they are in the family. They get circumcised because they get the privilege of being born into that family. It's a shift of mindset. And then purification, that's from Leviticus 12. And it's specifically for women who have had a child. They are in the law. They are, they are told by God after a month or so, go to the temple and do these things and reestablish your right relationship in the temple with God. It's ceremonial cleanness. Just having a child, the blood, the sweat, the tears, that makes you impure, doesn't make you unrighteous, ceremonially unclean. You can't just have a baby and then go to the temple the next day. You have to go through this process of honoring what God has said. So when you come to the temple, after a month, you are ready to worship again. You're not, you're, you're, you should be by then experiencing the healing side of things. You're getting back to normal. God gives you a break. That's how I look at some of those, those, those wait seven days, wait three weeks. God has given you a break. Like, you know what? Get well. God wants your very best when you come back to worship him and bring a sacrifice with you, a sacrifice of praise purification that's leviticus 12 and then dedication that's from exodus 13 2 there are other places where it's talked about you dedicate the firstborn son because in the passover before leaving egypt god took out all the firstborn of the egyptians of animal and human and therefore god has sanctified all the firstborn are mine a special offering should be given for the first child that, that, that comes out of a family. So there's that. I mean, they are, they are checking off the boxes. Like that, that's awesome. We see in the bringing of the turtle doves as their offering, that is the bare minimum gift. Should be a lamb or a bull or a goat. But if you can't afford that, God says, bring these seemingly insignificant, seemingly cheap animals, these two small birds, and those can be substituted. It speaks of Mary and Joseph's poverty. Poverty. What does the Bible say about poverty? Just a little side, side note here. That they are growing up, baby Jesus, not in a lavish lifestyle. King of kings, he's Savior, he's Christ, he's Lord, he's broke. Now, did they sell off those awesome gifts from the three wise men to have enough money? Yeah, probably. That, that would have been the smart thing to do. <laughs> those are symbolic in their gifts, but let's be real here. A baby doesn't need a pound of ointment. You know, just go sell that sucker off and you've got enough to live for a year. Go sell off the frankincense. You've got enough to live on the next year. Like God is providing for them. It's symbolic, but it's also lavish. Like God provides for their needs. That's awesome. 
Um, the next blank, I want you to write down the word poverty. We're going to do some poverty notes. Poverty is not a sin. Poverty is not evidence of God's disapproval over your life. Poverty is not a hindrance to worship. They worshiped anyway. They brought what was required. It was very little. Poverty is not a punishment. Poverty, poverty does not have to be forever. In many instances, God provides ways to work your way out of it. It's not forever. And in a spiritual sense, even if it's your entire life, doesn't mean you're going to be poor in eternity. When God is your treasure, earthly poverty is never forever. It's not an excuse. It's not earned. It's not earned, but it's also not an excuse for unrighteousness. Well, since I'm poor, I should be able to Rob from the rich. Okay, Robin Hood, don't do it. Not an excuse for breaking any of the commands of God to love your neighbor. Poverty is not shameful in itself. Or what we should say is, shouldn't be. Poverty is a shameful state and just about all cultures in one way shape or form there's a way that people gathered together in large groups find ways to say they are better than they they have more power ability they are the right color they are not they have the right weapons they do not we find all kinds of creative ways all throughout human history for the rich to get richer and the poor to get poorer and the poor don't seem to do much. They can be stuck for generations and born into poverty, and the cycle goes on and on. When the Bible talks about poverty, it's not, it's not something that you need to be uh, ashamed of. And to be quite honest, nobody here is in poverty. Not a single one of us can claim to be poor. As a country, our citizens are, our citizens are the 1%. We are fabulously, overly, exaggeratedly blessed. Or is it a blessing? Can having a lot of stuff actually be a curse? Can it take our eyes off the Lord? Can it teach us to trust in ourselves, trust in our American spirit, trust in our independence, trust in our rights so that we stop trusting in God? Riches tend to be shameful and a greater curse than any amount of poverty. Reset our minds. Reset the way we interact with people. God may bring needy people in front of you Find ways to help and avoid ways that enable. That, that, that takes time and effort. Just a thought, just a few thoughts 
as we think about Jesus and his family bringing the, the smallest offering allowed. They're doing what is right. It's not a sign of God's disapproval because we know for a fact that these are righteous people. Righteous people don't need to bring God a lot, but they do bring God what he asks. Starts with our hearts, ends with our hands. Yeah, kids need that kind of righteous influence in their lives. It helps them grow up in God's presence. What helps kids grow under God's influence? Number one, righteous parents. And number two, a repeated purpose. Verses 25 through 40. This is the encounter in the temple with Simeon and Anna. Children need God's purpose, not just any purpose, not just a repeated purpose. They need God's purpose and will repeated over them their entire lives. This starts with Jesus before he's born. Happens again when he's in the womb. Happens again as a one-month-old. It just keeps happening in his life. Now, did Jesus ever need all of that? No, but it helped. He is rightly related to God from the very beginning. We can, can grow from that example. We need to parent like that. Maybe not even parent. We need to adult like that. Repeating God's purpose over people's lives. What are the four ways that God speaks to us? God speaks to us through everyday circumstances. God speaks to us through other believers. God speaks to us in our personal and public prayer lives. He convicts us. He leads us. He also speaks to us through his written word. Consider this. Gabriel pronounces Jesus' purpose in life. Elizabeth, Zechariah, John, the angels, the shepherds, wise men, Simeon, Anna, and the list is going to keep on growing. It's almost as if when people talk about Jesus' purpose in life, changes their purpose in life. This is not all for the benefit of the kid. This is for the benefit of everybody involved in his life forever. Same is true for us. It's not just beneficial for the people who hear us declaring what God's purpose is for us and what we see God leading in their lives and how God is convicting and how God is leading. That's not just for other people. The more you learn to do that, the more it builds your own heart, the more it solidifies God's purpose inside of you first. That is amazing. And that's what we need. Open your mouth and talk about God's will. Well, I don't know God's will then you must not be reading God's book. Well, I'm unclear. Then you must not be spending time talking about God's book with God's people. Well, there, sometimes there are differences of opinion. Well, then you must not be spending enough time in God's book with God's people and then praying over it. Well, there's still, I just don't know what to do. Then you must not be spending enough time in God's book with God's people praying over it and observing the circumstances of life from God's perspective. That's how God speaks, all of those things together. Don't get hung up on just one of those. You'll become ingrown 
and you will miss the opportunity for other believers to speak into your life, for every circumstance to be a piece of the puzzle, and for your prayer life to be a time when God comforts you and guides you. We are Baptists. We tend to specialize on focusing and preaching and teaching and talking about God's word. It is our rule of faith. It governs us. It undergirds us. It protects us. It, yes, all of those yes and amen. We need each other. We need the voice of other believers. We need to see how God is at work all around us in everyday life. A repeated purpose is part of that. And then you have this odd moment where a very elderly man, uh, depending, on <laughs> depending on how your Bible words it, verse 28, he took him up in his arms, <laughs> scooped him up, I don't know, snatch, baby snatcher. I don't know what, who this guy, but like, whoa, like, like did, was Joseph be like this? what's happening here like what was joseph doing like whoa split step i'm ready like what are you doing with my kid this is a one month old you know moms are a little protective i'm not sure what's going through mary's mind maybe he was polite may i please hold that baby maybe that was it or maybe it was a little more aggressive (laughs) than we wanted it to be Nevertheless, immediately upon holding that child, this guy breaks out into praise. That happens a lot with this kid. Everybody who's near this kid, like busting out with praise. Babies are leaping. Everybody's prophesying. Like, what is, is this ever going to stop? Like, we're one month into this, and this just keeps happening. Just wondering, you know, does she take him to the market every Saturday and Every booth she went by, somebody starts busting out into the, whoa, praise the Lord! Like, what's going on here? Special. It's special. He says this interesting phrase. Very interesting. It's actually, he doesn't say it. It's in verse 25. The Bible has to point out, Simeon was righteous and devout, Waiting, waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Did Luke interview Simeon? I doubt it. He's been waiting a long time. I think he is off the scene by the time Luke writes this. I think he's passed away. Where does this information come from? Mary. Probably Luke's interview with Mary. That phrase is very purposeful, the consolation of Israel. That is a title. That is a substitute title for the word Messiah. Simeon has been waiting his whole life for the Messiah. Write that down, Messiah. That's what consolation of Israel means. And then when Anna, Simeon does his thing, And then coming up that very hour, Anna began to give thanks to God, probably saying the similar stuff, similar verbiage. But the Bible says she began to speak of and about Jesus to all who were, quote, waiting for the redemption of Israel. 
That is also Jewish, a Jewish way of saying waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah is the one who will do the redeeming. The Messiah is the one who will console us and comfort us in all of our grief, in all of our afflictions. And it, it is a, it is a, those are both lo- very loaded phrases packed with all this anticipation from the prophets. And it's all packaged up in a one-month-old. As all of these people are repeating God's purpose over Jesus, Mary is taking it to heart. Taking it all to heart. Kids need to hear God's purposes repeated over them and in their lives very regularly. Very regularly. It is a good thing. Parents, grandparents, be creative with that. Find creative ways to encourage your kids and your grandkids, whether they're near or far. Find ways to encourage them. Find ways to speak some biblical truth into their lives. Find ways as they grow and as they can handle different truth, find ways to encourage them towards godliness, holiness, righteousness. Call them and pray over them on the phone. Email them. Pray over them. FaceTime them. Find ways to be present even if you can't be with them. Pursue them. Parents and grandparents, you have to pursue your kids. You have to make intentional efforts to speak into their lives. If we don't, the world will. That's the battle. That, those are the stakes. Somebody will be pouring in to the kids, to the children, to the college students. Don't write them off when they're 18. They need care packages. My dorm got so excited when I got a care package from my grandma. I was sharing cookies that I did not want to share. It was like a rite of passage. Freshmen, share your goodie boxes from grandma. But no! Like, but that's, that speaks. That speaks into us. That to be generous, to be thoughtful. I know the postage costs more than the cookies. She could have sent me the money. And by the way, college students also need money. Send your kids money. That's a good thing. Kids, grandkids. But be creative in ways that you let them know you care. That, that becomes really important. That becomes purposeful, shaping and transforming, showing what generosity looks like, showing them what thoughtfulness looks like, showing them what real friends do. Real friends don't just click like on everything. Real friends go out of their way to mail actual pieces of mail to people and to actually show up at sporting events, not just like a video of when they were in the play. Presence. Your presence matters. Your presence is repeating God's purpose over people's lives because we are to love God and love one another. And most people do not get enough of our actual time. Spend that time. Spend it on your kids and your grandkids, nieces and nephews. Spend it. Spend it. Not on yourself. Here's where the rubber hits the road. You can spend your life on yourself. And then you will be alone. 
And there are circumstances in life when you do all the right things and you're still alone. That's okay. Spend it. Spend your life out. Pour your life out. Because God's purpose repeated over the people we love, it can be used by God and by the Spirit to transform them and speak the truth. What else? Last one. What helps kids grow up under God's influence? Verses 41 through 52, responsible parents. <laughs> Again, not perfect parents, but responsible parents. And we have this world-famous episode of Jesus getting left behind at church. I'm telling you, every kid, church kid needs to get left at church at one point in their life. Man, it is good for you. Just get left at church. Just get forgotten at church. Yeah, the, it, it's okay. Uh, I don't leave if I hear there's a kid in the building. I may pretend like I'm not there and see what they do, but I'm not going to leave until, until the building is empty. Um, and I was an actual firsthand part of my kid's story because we drive separately to church, always have. But apparently my son got left at church when he was very little. Um, Mom got all the way home, looked in the back seat. Sister's sitting there. <laughs> Naughty little sister. She knew the whole time on the way home that brother wasn't in the car. She's, I don't know what was going through her little mind. Peace. <laughs> like a river. That's what we were singing about. That song's about leaving your brother at church. I love that song. Let's sing that leave your brother at church song. Uh, I don't turn around, go back, find brother, but not perfect parents, responsible parents. They are a full day's journey outside of Jerusalem when they have to turn around. So they're gone for a whole day, takes another day to come back, and then they spend an another whole day, part of a day, looking for Jesus. Mary lost Jesus for three days and then found him again. Not going to be the first time in her life. Brace yourself, honey. You're going to lose him. But never forever. Never forever. They're responsible parents. They've got some words for 12-year-old Jesus. He had some words for them, too, because he's 12 years old. He's intelligent. He's responsive. Uh, what can we learn from this episode? Responsible parents, first of all, ask good questions. Don't open with an accusation. Open with some dialogue kind of diffuses the situation sometimes if you come in with anger and frustration and disappointment then you're probably going to throw up a wall and it's going to be difficult uh, step into step into questionable situations with questions and don't don't do this question what were you thinking because that's not really a question <laughs> that's an accusation are you serious that's not really a question uh, and how you ask the question also, like, like dudes, take notes right here. It's also how not to speak to your wife. <laughs> and you're right. This, is, this, is apply, this applies to lots of areas of life. Ask good questions. Ask good questions. 
Next one is remain reasonable under stress. You've got two and a half, three days of buildup, and I've lost my kid. <sighs> There's no Amber Alert. They're not getting much help. What does he look like? All the other 12-year-old Jewish boys with dark hair and robes and sandals? Like, what is the news alert going to be? Uh, we lost another kid. Like, what's it? I don't know. He answers to Joshua. <laughs> Joshua, 12 kids are going to turn around. Like, he, this is Messiah. Okay, you might get stoned. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's not going to work either. Uh, remain reasonable under stress. They start backtracking. They find him. It's going okay. Parents, next one. Explain your thoughts. Explain your thought process. Your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Explain why you're a little tense right now, Mom. Jesus doesn't appear to be tense at all. He's been taken care of. Where'd he sleep? Doesn't matter. God's in charge. What'd he eat? Doesn't matter. God's in charge. Like from a very early age, he is trusting in the Lord for his daily bread. Huh. Parents, in a tense situation, ask good questions, remain reasonable, explain what you are thinking, tell people how you feel. And then the last one is listen to their feedback. Why were you looking for me, Jesus asks. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house or doing my father's business? You didn't know I'd be, you didn't, you didn't know I'd be doing what God wanted me to do? I think there's a, some genuine, it says Jesus is growing from this point, growing in wisdom and understanding. He's growing in wisdom and understanding on how he needs to talk with his parents. They don't know what he knows. They don't seem to be in touch with the Spirit like he's in touch with the Spirit. They don't seem to fully grasp all of his priorities and he doesn't dismiss them. He doesn't rebuke them. He's asking good questions as well. He's acting like a grown-up. You see that? He's doing all the things that the parents need to be doing. They listen to his feedback. Verse 50 says, And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Kids, your parents are going to look at you and not understand you sometimes. They don't understand. It's a different generation. We don't understand perfectly each other. Newsflash. Parenting is a whole lot of making it up as you go. <laughs> the cat's out of the bag. A lot of parenting is just trying to be righteous trying to repeat God's purpose and trying to be reasonable and responsible in situations when you don't know what to do. That's okay. But listen to feedback. Listen to one another. 
Verse 51 is so, so amazing. It says, and Jesus went down. It's down because Jerusalem is built on a hill. And, to, and they live in Nazareth by the Sea of Galilee, which is sea level, lake level. So like literally, they're going down. They're going up to Jerusalem and down home. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Jesus submits to people who misunderstand him. That's a good lesson for kids. That's also a good lesson for parents. Learning to submit to people that don't understand you is a sign of your comfortability with God's greater will. We all need that. We all need that. His mother treasured up all these things in her heart and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. You never outgrow the need for righteous people in your life. You never outgrow the need for God's repeated purpose over your life. And you never outgrow the need for responsible believers, adults in your life. And then this matter of business. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house or about my father's business? You didn't know I was going to be doing God's business? What business is that? Have you thought about that for a second? Jesus understands what God's business is. Quite simply, we just need to look. What was Jesus doing? When, when you read that passage, what was Jesus doing when they found him? Teaching and learning. Teaching and learning. Teaching what? answering questions what kind of questions theological questions he's in the temple he's in the temple these are if you're in the temple then the people who are there are going to want to talk about the law the prophets the psalms they're going to want to talk about the coming messiah they're going to want to talk about the next festival the meaning of this festival they want to they want to talk about spiritual religious things and here's jesus leading the conversation yeah that's impressive. God's business is talking about spiritual things all the time and in every situation. Write this down. What is God's business that he wants us to be about? God and everyday matters are intertwined. God wants our everyday matters to be a part of him. He wants to be a part of everything you do. We should be able to talk about God in each and every situation of life, whether we are encountering somebody at the store, inviting somebody to an Easter service, contemplating going on a missions trip. We need to be talking about all these things all the time. That's how God speaks to us. Remember? Circumstances, other believers, prayer, His Word. We've got to take those things and talk about them all the time. It needs to become a lifestyle. And for Jesus, it is already a lifestyle. 
what we can learn from him is not just the grown-up stuff, but from a very young age, Jesus is learning. He's learning and he's teaching about how God intersects with everything in everyday life. Every decision, every encounter, every question is really a question of who God is and what God wants. Who God is and what God wants. Jesus is blowing minds. And it's a good thing. Everything is a spiritual endeavor. Jesus is trusting God for his daily bread and shelter. Um, And that leads me to this conclusion. Is my faith the type that can weave God into every situation. So that whether I am on the road up to church, to Jerusalem, I'm on the road home, or I'm here, this should not be the only place we talk about spiritual things. This should not be the only place where you pray with others. This should not be the only place where you talk about the circumstances of life. That needs to be done around the dinner table, in the car, in the break room, in the bleachers, at a sporting event. It's always the right place and time to talk about spiritual things. We need to get that into our heads. It's always the right time. It's always the right place to bring God into the situation. Prioritize spending time with believers this week, this month, or this year. I don't know where you are in your season of life, but you need righteous adults around you. You need to hear God's purpose repeated from others and also out of your own mouth. And you need responsible adults that you spend time with. I know you have to go to work. I know you sometimes are stuck with kids all day. It's going to take an effort to to break out of your cycle, to break out of um, the situation you are in. There's a lot of darkness out there. There's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of ungodliness where we work, where we go to school, where we spend so much of our time. And we need to take the initiative to make moments where we are around the right people for the right reasons. Look in your bulletin and plug into one of our small groups. If those times and dates don't work, let's start a new one at your house or at your time. You've got a boss who's okay with an afternoon prayer meeting in the break room, after lunch or before lunch. Let's set that up. Let's put somebody in charge. Let's, Let's bring God to where we are bring him into everything, and then we become responsible, righteous voices of God's purpose everywhere that we go. Stand with me. Let's pray over that. God is in everyday matters. These are three things that we all need. We all need people. Bow your head and close your eyes as we conclude. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the people that we do have in our lives already. We're asking for your spirit to help us open our mouths. And God, if we can't think of anything to say, then help us to open our Bibles.
If we can't open our hearts, then Lord, use your spirit to convict us so that we care enough to talk about you everywhere we go. Teach us how to quickly and carefully turn conversations into spiritual conversations, asking people if we can pray for them, asking people how God has blessed them, telling people how we are rejoicing even in our sorrow, telling people how we are trusting in the Lord, telling people how good you are, telling people how you have wonderfully, miraculously saved us, telling people how we are not afraid, telling people that we care about them. God, open our hearts and minds. You have told the world that you love them by the glory of Easter on the cross and in the resurrection. Help us to be a resurrection people. Change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Benediction verses for today are from Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>